welcome to Las Doctoras podcast, featuring your favorite profas bringing women and gender studies topics out of the university and onto the kitchen table. I'm Christina, Chicana, Panay, queer, Sha, Aya, traveler, Earth, Mama, Bruja. I'm Renee, Mexicana, Tejana, Chicana, she, her, ella, mama, bruja, scholar, and scribe. Together, we are the academic and word brujas creating revolutionary spaces outside the walls of the ivory tower to cast spells, read the ancient texts, and tell our sacred stories. We make this magic as an offering to our ancestors, to those who will come after us, and for the change we wish to see in the world. Salud! podcast we're really loving us being in person and then all these amazing guests um that have actually reached out to us that feels really nice um it makes it easier for us to 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 create more episodes so everyone's listening to our dreams ancestors are kind of you know saying hey making it all happen we're connecting you yeah it feels like that and this is particularly this interview so um yeah very much excited to have our guest. Yes. Just dive um, right in. Yeah, go ahead. Introduce yourself, our wonderful guest. And Doctora. Can't wait to get into this conversation. <laughs> We're nervous, you can tell, but it's good. It's a good nervousness. Welcome, Doctora. Hola. Gracias. Thank you, Las Doctoras, for being open on this invitation to share this space with your audience to talk about us. Like it's very important issues in our in our community that revolves around like body image and mm-hmm. body shaming and fat phobia. Uh, who I am, I'm proud. Uh, I'm a proud Mexicana immigrante of Huichol ancestry. I was born in the Sierra Madre, in the state of Nayarit, Mexico, and raised in Watsonville, California. And mm-hmm. it's so important to just really acknowledge. Acknowledge the land, my ancestors um, from Wichon ancestry. I live in Monterey County currently, uh, home to the Cosanoan Esalen Nation. And what else did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> um, any astrology that you know yes. want to share? And also, I feel like I would love everyone to hear your full name if you feel yes, claro, Hortensia Jimenez Sandoval. Oh, beautiful! Gracias. My name was butchered all my life, you know, in the K through twelve system. So, yeah, thank you for asking me to say my full name. <laughs> hmm. So, where there's a little bit of a little tech issues here, but I think we're going to come through. Um, the other thing that we love to ask is your astrology. And I want to guess, actually. <laughs> is that okay? Yes, of course. Yes, it's yes. all social. But, so you must have this, you have a rising sign that's an air sign, I think. But then you are getting shit done. I so card. I want to see you're a fire um, yes. sun. So what are you? Tell me. Let's hear Leo. 
I'm Leo. I, I'm Leo. I thought that. I was like, she's a Leo. I think I'm Leo. Leo. Oh my God. I love you guys it. are good. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I don't know a lot about astrology. I have a really good friend who does a lot of work based on what she told me, which I understand half of what she says to me mm-hmm. because I just don't get it too much. She says, I have a lot of Leo, a lot of fire in me and, and with different signs. A, because, you know, I'm very compassionate. I have a lot of passion, mm-hmm. uh, very um, sensitive and. And I'm protective, you know, I guess a lot of those mm-hmm. beautiful characteristics of Leos. I love <laughs> that. Means so you can hang out with them at all? <laughs> I don't know if I know too many. We don't have many Leos in our life, actually. Yeah. Uh, like, in our circle, in our circle of mm-hmm. like I travel well with Leos and I don't date <laughs> I don't date them very well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love. I love that. Like um, self awareness. You know. Yes, that's important. <laughs> self awareness is, is key, right? Um. So I love it. Um. Thank you for being mm-hmm. here. I love that we get to interview fellow doctoras. Um. So tell us what what is your work? Yes. Never. I would. I would love to know too. Like. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of your academic journey because yes. you're a fellow doctora. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then maybe how that led to, mm-hmm. yeah, this, what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, grow, I grew up um, in the United States. I grew up uh, far away from my family, from my paternal, you know, my mother mm-hmm. and my father and my, my siblings. Um, so growing up away from my family and growing up undocumented, being raised in a very traditional Catholic household really shaped my my childhood and my lens of how mm-hmm. I saw the world. I didn't have the language, you know, when you're a child to understand immigration and understand family separation. You just mm-hmm. don't know. You don't understand. And it wasn't until I got to the university. And it's like fast forward really quickly, right? <laughs> it's like first gen, you know, going through all the struggles. Pues, yeah, ya se imaginar. But I uh, made it to the university and... Um, I feel like I'm jumping a lot, but like I guess I guess I'll just start from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I took I took a couple of different courses, and I took sociology, and I fell in love with sociology because it gave me the language, and it validated my experience. And yeah. even though it was coming from white professors, it's interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because as mm-hmm. a woman of color, right, it, it's crazy to to say that for me, it has been. Um, Faculty, white faculty who have been supportive in my journey, in in my graduate, uh, you know, education. Um, I had a white female feminist professor who, who taught gender studies, taught race, and like she really understood, and she was very supportive. Um, she saw something in me that I didn't see because growing up, you know, you were not really encouraged to really embody your voice to to really take space where basically silence because of patriarchy and, and, you know, so many things and you get to the university and you're like, Así como que you feel, you, you feel like you don't belong, you know, all these feelings that we go through as, you know, many first generation college students and um, taking courses in sociology really helped me understand immigration, helped me understand like par- mm-hmm. partly a, a little bit of, of explaining my, my, my life and um, I decided to pursue my master's at the same institution at San Jose State University. And it was this, mm-hmm. you know, white female professor who said, you should apply for your master's. Y yo como, ¿Qué es eso? Like, mm-hmm. how do I do that? You know, and it was easy for me to just apply in the same school. And I did a lot of nonprofit immigrant work because that's always been sort of my passion working with the 
Latino immigrant community, a lot of work around uh, civic engagement, know your rights, uh, citizenship drives in, in Santa Clara County. And that really informed like my academic research on immigrant rights activism and leadership and immigration status as a form of identity, you know, and how, how being undocumented shapes your identity. Because, you know, I grew up like that and then coming from a mixed status family. So I always wanted to insert my personal experience and that of my community in academia. Mm-hmm. And I went to grad school to UT Austin. And I do want to mm-hmm. say that I applied to grad school in 20, 2003, I think. And in 2004, I, I think I got rejected for all the schools. I applied to 10 universities and I want to normalize like the rejection. It, 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 mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard grad school applying for PhD programs, you know, yes. when you're first gen. So it was yes. hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard going through the whole process and hard so getting hard. rejected from all the schools, like todas. So, mm-hmm. you know, as an immigrant and you're like, pues, you know, esto no me va a detener. And I'm like, I'm going to start mm-hmm. teaching at the community college. So I started my career teaching at San Jose City College in San Jose in 2004. And I was 24. I was like, you know, I was like, I felt like this badass chingona of like 24, like has a master's going, starting to teach. How she's going to teach, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was, I felt like fulfilled, but something was missing. And that was like, I did work in the nonprofit, but I mm-hmm. was like, reach for the stars, honestly. And it might sound cliche, but so for brave. me, it was totally, it was like, for me, it's like, reach for the stars is like, the ultimate, like the epitome seria el PhD, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm paving the way. So I boy, I applied the second year and, and I applied out of the state, was he fui a UT Austin in Texas, and that's where I did my PhD. Went through a lot of stuff because mm-hmm. I decided to get married, decided to have children, be a student parent, and that was hard as a woman of color, and birthing mm-hmm. kids, birthing grad school and dissertation oh girl can you imagine <laughs> the trauma and the violence and the microaggressions that we face you know? that's a whole conversation we need to have a part two yeah. about academia okay <laughs> being mm. a woman of color and brown body taking space being pregnant crazy you know mm-hmm. because my grandmother passed away last year and she was like a mother to me and i wanted to be really mm. close to her and i had my kids so i relocated and part of this is too i wanted to do dismantle i really wanted to challenge academia the elitism or elitism i can pronounce it elitism elitism yeah so you know i went through a lot in grad school as a um as a woman of color as a uh, as a mexicana immigrante um being aware of just the lack of representation of students of color in phd programs and not having the faculty support of your research, you know, hearing racist jokes by your faculty, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because my research has always been on immigrants. And I still remember, and it, it uh, I still remember a, a, a professor, a white male professor who said some, I said a joke around like, oh, I have X number of undocumented immigrants. He said illegal uh, in my backyard and everyone, and we're all sociologists, right? And everyone's laughing. And I was like, I'm like the only like Latina. Mm. And then I get these emails from white female students are like, oh, I just want to reach out to let you know that, you know, I don't align with that. I'm like thinking, why are you emailing me? Why weren't you an upstander in class? You know, and this is like PhD grad work, you know? So having to be like recognized, validated, respected, and then your own research Mm. be dismissed and not be taken seriously was hard. Uh, until I found who I call like <laughs> my guardian angel. His name is Michael Young. He's a social movement scholar. He's a white, he's Jewish. 
and has always been like my my advocate and and has guided me really through my graduate program and mentored me and and I, I kind of feel like crying because it was so hard yeah. grad school was hard like intellectually reading stuff and you're like what the fuck does it say <laughs> like yeah. I don't get the shit yeah. I'm sorry like I don't understand these theories that democracy I can't even pronounce some of these words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that felt so dumb, felt so ignorant. Mm-hmm. And it was just because we were mm-hmm. we're not in the same playing field, you know, competing with these other grad students, you know, coming from a public school system, going to a state school, and it just realizing like, man, I lack all this uh mainstream capital that students have. I might have the cultural oh. wealth, right? Capital. Um mm-hmm. so uh just navigating all that was hard and my place as like I said you know deciding to get to t- decide that I wanted motherhood in grad school and how you're not so you're you don't do that in grad school it's like you're a student I'm, and here I am like I feel like mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. challenged systems of oppression even with me without recognizing it you know like no me di cuenta hasta ahora como adulta mm-hmm. as an adult that I realized that so I just want to share that I had my my son was born during my comprehensive exams. I was literally like dripping milk when I was doing my comprehensive exams. Like, like, imagine the disruption, like how feminist and radical is that, right? Love it. I didn't realize, I was surviving grad school, but I'm like, man, Hortensia, even then you were like being this badass chingona. You're like, you know, I I got this. So he was born during my comprehensive exams. And then my daughter, Itzel, was born during my dissertation research. Literally, like, ahí la llevaba en mi mi sling, wherever I would go in the community. And Elena, my third child, was born. She was pregnant when I defended. I was seven months pregnant when I defended my dissertation. Can you imagine that? I, I, you know, I have to say that, like, so much of what you're saying is validating. I had, I mean, I had professors say all kinds of crazy, weird stuff that at the moment, too, like, when you're surviving, you're kind of, like, questioning yourself, like, was that? was that you know mm-hmm. I remember open I remember clearly there's this book that I opened and it started talking about the id and the something and the I was id, like the ego and super ego and I was like I literally opened the book read the first page I was like nope not doing it because I just <laughs> yeah couldn't I my yeah. brain was not going to digest even if I tried it was like so yeah. I showed up to seminar and was just like pretending like I knew what was going on because I was yes. there's just no way it was mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. it was too much and mm-hmm. I then remember I was I was pregnant with my first when I did my qualifying exams and I remember I didn't want to tell anybody until I passed yes exactly because I was like mm-hmm. oh shit they're not gonna mm-hmm. pass me if they mm-hmm. know that I'm pregnant because then they think you're mm-hmm. not um, yeah the stereotype of the latina who gets pregnant and drops out right right so mm-hmm. i was like so i remember yeah. right after i passed i was like oh by the way <laughs> <laughs> i'm pregnant and then i didn't i didn't def- i mean uh-huh. and then i had two kids and then i uh-huh. defended they were they were still pretty young when i uh-huh. when i when i finished they yeah my youngest was like two, two. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I, mean, I I was told not to even go into like uh like if I want a family you gotta choose and and yeah. and, and also exactly. if I'm someone who can pay for everything mm-hmm. I shouldn't do it either you know oh, and yeah. I was like you're so discouraged. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad that I didn't listen yeah. to that person but like 
the the messages are real. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and those messages come even from faculty of color, right? So it's just because I think it's so important 100%. to really to say that, right? That even though yeah. you th- sometimes you go to institutions because they look like you, or you think that they understand, but they're surviving and they're perpetuating those systems of oppression mm-hmm. with 100%. you as well. I so. was in an ethnic studies program. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure to put anyone of last I promise, <laughs> but I'm just gonna say that. Now name me names, but um, you so know who you, are. you went through all that so much. You were chingona, right? To be able to survive all of that. And um, I really want to make sure that we get to the topic at hand because mm-hmm. you reached out to us mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. said the words dismantling diet culture. Yes. Like, And Christine yeah. and I were like, yes. And oh, it's so scary because we, I, we've done episodes where yeah. we've kind of addressed it and it's always, a, it's one of those topics uh-huh. that's really difficult. It's hard. because We're uh-huh. still unpacking uh-huh. our own wounds, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Moving into body positivity. We're yeah. like, we're really affirming and, and it's like, we're, we're healing. We're, and, yeah. we're, and, and then like you, once you start to unpack, it's like yeah. more and more shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. like, oh my yes. God, everything is tied to, mm-hmm. to, to toxic diet culture. And yes. then I think, especially mm-hmm. as we're having kids and, mm-hmm. you know, knowing how hard it was for me to hear certain things from my own mom, mm-hmm. not wanting to perpetuate that, but also like, I don't know, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard balance to strike, I think sometimes. Mm-hmm. So but mm-hmm. tell us, like, I really want to hear from you, like, what is, mm. yeah, what does dismantling diet culture mean to you? Yes. You know, what led to this work was the lack. And I think many can relate. We always start something or do something because we don't see ourselves being we represented at the table mm-hmm. or in those conversations. And it was during the pandemic. I've done a lot of work in my community physically, like face to face. And then with the pandemic, it's, you know, there was a shift. And so I, I was not a social media person at all. Like I would never post anything, not even on my Facebook. Imagine that then going to social media, I was like, okay, I had something to say. Yeah. So I, I created yeah, this account and mm-hmm. being a, as an, uh, as a researcher, I started looking for accounts like of Latinx representation or Chicanas doing this type of work. Fitness, all diet stuff. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. something's going on here. So, mm-hmm. and that's where I was like, okay, I need to begin to unpack some of, some of these conversations that, that are normalized in our communities that are harmful and that mm-hmm. they're so normalized that people think they're normal and that are okay and they're not. And it's mm-hmm. so ingrained. So that's how I sort of began to do to do this work. And how both of you said it's true. It's so much, right? When I think about diet culture, I, I want to say like in terms of how I define diet culture, I move away from like the, I'll, I'll be really straight. Mm-hmm. honest from the white middle classes gender definition that doesn't really take into assistance of oppression into account mm-hmm. and that's where i see myself as hopefully um one of the few mujeres que está haciendo este trabajo en social media specifically and intentionally from a social racial intersectional lens mm-hmm. and diet culture from e is a system of oppression it's systems and structures in our society that are rooted in oppression and white supremacy that uh, place bodies 
um, certain bodies in a hierarchy, thin, white, cisgender, mm -hmm. normative yeah. bodies, and everything that doesn't align in this hierarchy, you know, uh, be BIPOC, LGBTQ, trans, non-binary, people with disabilities, you know, so whatever is not the, this, this, this normativity, right, and heteronormativity, mm -hmm. understanding that, but understanding that diet culture is not something recent for me as a sociologist and uh, Dr. Uh, Sabrina Strings is a sociologist. She uh, published a book called, uh, but she talks about the history of fat phobia. And mm -hmm. I argue that the history of fat phobia is rooted in diet culture. We cannot talk about the wellness mm -hmm. and diet culture without looking at the history of the formation of this country. Mm. Right? Mm. So, so see the lens that I'm bringing in is very different from how other white wellness influencers are talking about diet culture. I'm really rooted in the sociological analysis and looking at how black folks have been treated throughout history, how yeah. um, Mexican, Mexican American, indigenous people of color, how immigration laws, yeah, mm -hmm. this is all connected two systems of oppression. So if we look at mm -hmm. the founding of this country, how it was founded, de allí viene todo estos sistemas de opresión mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and race. So we, you're like, how can we talk about the diet, diet culture diets? This is rooted in white supremacy. And white mm. supremacy is part of the foundation of this country. Yeah, I... It's heavy. When I, it's heavy. When I was hearing... I, I mean, we know this, right? I, I feel like it goes without saying for us, but I love the explicitness. Yeah, we need like, to hear that. Need people to hear need it. to hear that. Yeah, people don't know. They just think, oh... Or they... I Maybe they know and they don't draw those lines together, right? I don't want to acknowledge it. You know, that's one of the things that they I don't found want to acknowledge it. That's why, like, when I reached out to you is, where can I reach out that is safe for me as a, as a woman of color, as a person mm -hmm. who is doing this work that is very difficult to have these courageous conversations? Because even within our own communities, people don't see a problem with fat phobic comments, don't mm -hmm. understand how white supremacy, mm -hmm. like, no lo quieren reconocer o lo reconocen, pero it's like, oh, no, you're just being too critical or you're gaslighted, you know, all the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. makes it very difficult to engage in these conversations? But they're holding um, us up to a, a white standard, you know. Um, yes. I mean, I, I yeah, I, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I, the way I say it is uh, diet culture, fat phobia, all those things, right, are a byproduct of colonization. Yeah. And the way I think of it is, and, and yet our families, our culture, right, mm -hmm. has internalized those mm -hmm. colonial mm -hmm. ways so much, then we yes. become yes. the, um, the vehicles, right, yes. by which yes. colonization. The vessels to perpetuate that. Exactly. Perpetuate. And to give an example right now for people who mm -hmm. might be like thinking, how is colonialism have anything to do with diet culture? Todo. Colorism is an mm -hmm. excellent example connected mm -hmm. to diet culture. Mm -hmm. Thin bodies, you know, are uh, people in bigger bodies. La morenita, oh, esa persona está más guapa. This mm -hmm. is all oh, because mm -hmm. it's light skin, blue eyes, approximates whiteness, right? That mm -hmm. is rooted in colonialism, those wounds, that heteronormativity, you know. I, I've been coming out for, for a couple years. Um, I came out to my sisters, uh, I think the last one was in January 1st, because I thought I wasn't going to make it. I thought I was not going to live. Like, that's how mm -hmm. bad it has been. And we talk about colonialism, and we talk about systems of oppression, and mm -hmm. how we have been conditioned to suppress our sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, this, that's why I'm so passionate about this work, because 
I have been affected by diet culture in so many ways. So if I can allow myself to be vulnerable, to to share my story and to as a person, as a human being, but also mm-hmm. as an as an intellectual, as an academic and a health coach, like how powerful is that, right? When we're able to bring not only our lived experience, but connected to to this like academic language and which you shouldn't be in the first place. Like we should just be validated for our lived experience, you know, right. like we don't yeah. need to have that formal background education, but it's yeah. a gorilla, it's an asset. Yeah. And I, we're right there with you. Totally. Yeah. And it makes, I, it's again, there's so much to unpack. And I think, cause I was talking, I, I, I do a lecture about um, like body politics for my class mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. my like intro to women's studies class. And, you know, it's, you know, I teach at Cal State LA, so it's predominantly Latinas, Chicanas. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about it from that cultural perspective. Yeah. And again, thinking about how this is no longer, like, it's not that it's not coming from white culture, because it absolutely is, you know, holding the white standard of beauty. But a mm-hmm. lot of it is just, it's coming from within our own family, yes. the, the way yes. our own family. I mean, mm-hmm. I have this clear, oh, my mom. Anyway, <laughs> like. <laughs> both of our moms were hairdressers. Both of our moms. Say, yeah. Or the beauty culture was like, huge they succeeded mm-hmm. in that world totally mm-hmm. and then but i i mean i've as i've been able to pay more attention you know like realizing where it, it came from and then i start paying attention to how prevalent it is in my family mm-hmm. and seeing the subtle ways yes. that you know just even like policing mm-hmm. what people eat or mm-hmm. um this what idea of like healthy food is mm-hmm. bland right mm-hmm. that you're not going to use too much sauce or you're not going to use too much spice like all this stuff mm-hmm. and garlic onion yeah mm-hmm. and i'm like all the good wait things. a minute exactly power of culture ingredients or or even the the, the demonizing of like cultural mm-hmm. food right yeah, like yeah, seeing mexican food as like junk food be- and we we're we we're just having this discussion right because yeah um you know or i'm thinking about tamales and how they're made how the masa is often made with lard and lard and fat are demonized right mm-hmm. as like mm-hmm. bad and yet that's mm-hmm. where all the flavor comes from and yes. that's why is so good and unless it's white culture food right because there's a that diet right the keto diet like it's all fat mm-hmm. right but it's like exactly. but it's good fat they still exactly. label it's purity fat. culture right purity, purity, purity culture, culture yes. in a different way yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i think oh, it just yeah. makes me sad that it mm-hmm. it makes me sad to know that a lot of my wounds around diet culture mm-hmm. came from within my own family. Yeah. My mom was always uh-huh. like, well, if you lose a few pounds, uh-huh. we've come a long way. This It's been a, a good 20 years since she said that to me. But it, it was only because I put my foot down and said, you're no longer allowed to to make yes. comments about my weight. You're no longer about, allowed to. Uh-huh. But she, she would like buy me clothes that were a little smaller mm. <laughs> than they were supposed to be. You know, it's like families trying to protect girls from rape culture, you know, yeah. but by policing them you know but so this is and then one of my students brought up the um the prevalence of like latinx folks in like things like herbalife Mm. or or, yeah Yeah. like those Mm -hmm. kinds of things and Mm -hmm. i was like man that's how like insidious colonization is right now it's it made its way and planted its roots in our community Mm. and it's become almost the way our community has survived now. Yes. And that's, you know, I think that when we talk about how do we like, for me, when I, and that's the name of my podcast, Dismantling Diet Culture. And that's kind of what I have also on my bio on my Instagram is Mm -hmm. 
part of dismantling diet culture begins with us, right? So like practical, concrete things, what can we offer our audiences, mm. challenging those internalized ideas and belief systems. I mean, listening to your podcast, you know, it's just amazing. You're talking about these topics that we normally don't talk about in our own families, you know, sexuality, oppression, all this different stuff. So dismantling is like beginning to reframe and rethink how we think about food, how we think mm -hmm. about bodies, how we think about love, about about basically everything. Right? Everything, because, yeah. Because the family is an institution and it connects with religion. They're best friends. We know religion, the institution of religion and family, pues son, you know, <laughs> son comadres. <laughs> they enforce each other, right? And yeah. like you said, it's not from one day to another. I'm in my 40s and I'm still dismantling mm -hmm. and unpacking because we get triggered right things happen mm -hmm. and that we're retired re-triggered about food or about body or or some traumas that that we need to continue to heal for me healing is like never ending it's not like step one and i'm done in step two or three it's just like yeah. non-linear and and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's messy and ugly all in all of it yeah can I take us into the conversation about our children? Yes. <laughs> like, okay, go, 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 go. Well, I just, you know, already we um we have we have seven year olds. You have an almost eight year old. It's like I'm like, almost eight year old and a ten year old. Yeah, and so it's come up for in our in our kids in the way you know how Wara came home one time and he's like I don't want to you know be fat you know mm -hmm. um yeah the other day right he came home he's like I'm the chunkiest one in our class I was like. <laughs> Let's talk about this, Poppy. Like, what's you know how? I I mean, I need help actually. Well, this I is, think yeah. I think it, it it tells us a few things when the kids come home with this language, because um, I think there's a perception of like, oh, we're women's studies, ethnic studies professors. Like, mm -hmm. our kids are gonna be down mm -hmm. with some shit, mm -hmm. and we can yeah. only control. Yes, yeah. What, what happens, happens in the house? That's right. Mm -hmm. We can't control how mm -hmm. they go out in the world and what they're hearing from. Sometimes yes. even family members, right? right. Like, yes. and, and it's not yes. a battle we need to fight because we don't need to control that. What we need to do with that is say, how do we, yeah. how do we, that when they come to us exactly. and say, no, like, or, yeah, what do we say? Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's as parents, right? We already, as parents, we, we already know what what we don't want to perpetuate or what we mm -hmm. don't want to create more harm to our children. We want to add those cycles of intergenerational violence and trauma and, you know, diet culture with our own kids. So we want to protect them as much or, and make them feel, I, you know, from personal experience, I did my best to always allow my kids to express themselves through their clothes in whatever shape and form. I never police mm -hmm. their bodies. I, I always allowed them. So when my kids were small, we would go to family gatherings. Eran los que estaban como despeinados. Like they were never oh. neat and clean. And I always felt like people would judge us like, oh, it's the parents. No, I am allowing my kids to self-express. So, you know, just, yeah. but it's, it's hard when family. It is. It so is hard. so Hard. My both yeah. my kids really insist on having long hair, right? Yeah. My and my oldest in particular, his hair texture is very different, and so mm -hmm. he wakes up and looks like a lion, <laughs> like it's just this mane, which everybody loves. It's a little bit hard because I'm trying to teach him how to take care of his own hair, uh -huh. and it's yeah. difficult. And so it's a constant um, source of <laughs> conflict in our house because mm -hmm. I keep saying. 
if you're going to have long hair, it's a responsibility. You need to take uh-huh. care of, you know, yeah. you're 10 years old. You need to I learn. Should. And my husband just wants to be like, cut it off. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> cut it off. Like, and, so, and, and a lot of people in our life are like, oh my God, their hair's so long. Like, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and I have to come back to mm-hmm. their bodily autonomy. Like, yes. I, I want to honor mm-hmm. that this yes. is, it, and it's not, it's something silly to say you can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I tell my husband, we got to fight our battles. There's a lot of other things we, we need yes. to, you know have yes. harsh boundaries with this is not one of mm-hmm. them you know yeah and he should be allowed to to express himself in the way he wants especially exactly. because for him it's he will even mm-hmm. say like if we even get him a trim like a tiny little <laughs> he'll say um no one's gonna recognize me oh it's totally he like looks yes. at himself in the mirror mm-hmm. and loves when his hair is just a mess and the same thing when and to go to I do too and he went to go to family parties we try to get them to like let's wear something a little nicer yes oh, no. my, my <laughs> so like that's not comfortable and I should be comfortable should, oh, my oh my god, god. they well, exactly I think it's kind of exacerbated because of COVID too they've had this time where we had this yeah we didn't have to look we didn't have to look we didn't go to any family things and then suddenly you're there and it's just like oh see what do we need to do right now? Yeah. And so and, know, I think we're trying to support it, like you said, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's so hard because we're battling yes. our own, like, mm-hmm. oh yes. my God, family's going to judge and exactly. what are people going to say? And yeah. Yeah. But I think that gives our kids so much agency and so much power. And we're modeling that for them so that they can continue to do that because they're going to be faced in the world and in school with all this societal pressure. And, you know, and going back to what you said, it's so true. We can only protect them and we can only make them feel uh loved in the in the size that they're in and like the body diversity and everything everything and then i feel like i've done all that work too right i think like here we are as people who've gone through formal education we have phds we have these real struggles right we can't like what happens in school what they hear what they say and they come back home no it hurts us because that's what we want to protect them from, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's no, there's no answer for that. Um, I don't, there's no solution. The solution is to continue to be consistent with the messages that we give our kids about mm-hmm. body positivity, uh, you know, not, not to get caught up with the body positivity, either narrative. Right. But I always tell my kids about body diversity. I always remind them you're indigenous. Like we lost the language because of colonialism, but you're mm-hmm. always that. like always like, and I am indigenous. I tell my kids, you know, like I tell my daughters, don't forget that you're fire. Like, don't forget. Like see mama, see mama. We know we talk about race and race mama guess what my son just told me recently mama i'm educated too mm-hmm. my sophomore you know high school kid i was like ah que la cosa mijo like so my kids know it all right so i was like but here i am I even though they're like they want to silence me because that's what they're doing by saying i know mama like i already know yeah. they're trying to silence me and i just keep going and believe me i cry i cry when my kids don't want to listen to me or when i feel like a broken record mm-hmm. because they're not going to hear it anywhere else yeah that's that's the ultimate reminder right because I, I i do think when when the kids come home we're, we we yeah. want to like what's the thing we can say and then that's it right yeah but <laughs> what you said is it's not about the one they're time teenagers. it's the consistency yeah. it's the like yes. so it doesn't have to be a long it can just be like yeah. mm-hmm. 
chunky is good. Chunky is just a word. Yes. <laughs> and, and then modeling that, ex- and modeling that because I yeah, live in a yeah. thin body, right? And I have thin privilege. And how do I dismantle my pr- my thin privilege? Mm. And uh, you know, like because my kids, you know, their body type is more like my my husband, you know. So I I remind them, you know, like the bodies are are diverse. That health is not does not equal your your the size or the number on the mm-hmm. scale. Pero vivimos en una sociedad racista. Like we live in a racist society. We live where there's all these isms too. So it's like you can eat healthy and be in a bigger body and be a brown person and still be and still experience discrimination and some type of disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's like health is eating healthy is not going to solve our our societal problems of fat phobia it's not going to solve racism homophobia transphobia right so they're yeah. all you know what i mean they're all they're all intersectional issues yeah. that i think that the wellness industry is sometimes sometimes forgets like this is our children's book Mm-hmm. <laughs> healthy bodies can be all sizes you know like yeah yeah i mean and, and, I, and to trust their, this is another point i want to make too sorry is we, you know, growing up, right, we grow up in a Mexican-American Chicano home or, and we, our plates are served. Nos dan la comida and we need to finish mm-hmm. our food. There's a lot of food traumas. We haven't, I think we need another podcast episode. There's so many food traumas in our homes. So I didn't grow up trusting my body because they told me what to eat, how much to eat, when to mm-hmm. eat it. You know, and so another thing that parents can do, anyone who's listening is trust your kids. Yeah. Trust, trust your kids, trust their bodies. That's and that's when a, they're hungry, you know, and that's a big okay one in, in our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big one in our house because um, my mm-hmm. my husband will tend to try to say like, oh, you need to eat so mm-hmm. much. And mm-hmm. I, and it's hard because, you know, he's maybe not 100 percent on board with my like anti-diet culture stuff Mm -hmm. but I I'm still and so I kind of am okay when him and I are in conflict in front of them Mm -hmm. in in those situations where he'll say like oh you need to finish that before whatever and I'm kind of like are you full Mm -hmm. and he'll say yes okay that's fine then if you're full right so Mm -hmm. then he hears like somebody wants me to eat more than I want to but Mm -hmm. I am full Mm -hmm. and so he's like now can I have candy and I was like "Mm." (laughs) that's the hard one that's the hard one your body needs this healthy growing food first you know like we need to like give you the the things that will help your body grow you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's always I think it's the why like why are we eating certain Mm -hmm. things and and I will Mm -hmm. I will say and we'll we gotta wrap up I know but oh yeah you know, I, I really try to, my oldest, my, my two kids, you know, both boys, but very different body types, like mm. completely polar opposites. And so really trying to lean into and the different eating habits, right? My oldest will eat a big meal and be good for hours. My little just wants to snack all day long. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and really, really skinny. And my oldest is, you know, this mm-hmm. big kid and, mm-hmm. um, and so I was always, I'm, you know, and I'm a little concerned sometimes, does he eat too much? Is it, oh, like, yeah. is he eating enough? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then he recently went camping for three, four days without me, right, with his class. And he come, and I'm like, okay, you have to just make sure you eat something, whatever they have. Like, don't be picky because you need the energy. And he comes back and he's like, I knew you would want me to eat something good for me. So I ate salad with every meal. <laughs> And I was Aww. like, it, it was, I, I like, it was, to me, it was like, 
he li- he he listened to he what you i don't know it just felt like it was a yeah. source of pride for me like oh yeah. he he didn't do he does that make sense like it wasn't yeah. like oh mom's not here now so i'm just exactly. gonna do whatever i want mm-hmm. it was kind of like like you're I, his consciousness he so yeah they know it's like i feel like we need to continue to be like a broken record you know yeah. um, because Thank you for that we gotta yeah. trust we got to trust our kids and making those decisions. I mean, well, how else can yeah. we say it, right? That that hopefully like, everything we've shared yeah. with them, that they will take it and make those decisions. Or if not, at least it's here in their consciousness. Like, okay, this it's, is what It's mom. in their subconscious. That's what I say. It's there. Because I know that's how I was. My mom would tell me things and I'd be like, whatever. And then later on, I'd be like, well... <laughs> I'd pull up that, you know, that thing that I heard a million times and, you know, and, you know, I may not have ever admitted to her that, Mm -hmm. you know, it was that, but, um, okay. So we do want to wrap up because we, you know, we want to honor everyone's time, but tell us where we can find you, you, how people can hear more about your work, anything else you want to share. Yes. So I'm on, on social media, I'm on Instagram and TikTok, uh, same, um, account name, Dr. Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. Um, that's where I'm at. Um, I also recently launched, uh, about a month ago, my podcast, Dismantling Diet Culture, Fuck Being Calladita. Uh, mm-hmm. and that you can check it out. It's, I would, you know, like I said, lack of representation and I wanted to have a, a, uh, bilingual or just you know be unapologetic to to navigate the the language you know in english and spanish uh and create a safe space for BIPOC and queer folks uh, on diet culture and i'll give you my email so you can link it people yeah, want to sure. reach out you know i'm here I, I really care about these this 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 industry and dismantling it you know and, you know, at the micro level through our, you know, actions and what we can do at home and eventually, you know, systems change, system change. Yeah. I love your fierceness, mama. I love it. <laughs> I'm so grateful yeah. that we got this chance to talk with you. Gracias. And thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thank we you. Love it. Thank you, both of you. Thank you so much. Intro and outro song is called Foreign Fog by The Corner House, a band that features our dear friend Danelia Arechica. Oh, vengo a